Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now in for Jeff Wagner, WTMJ's Scott Morris. Jeff's on the DL. No, what is it called now? Injured list. Is that what it is? He's out today. We wish him well. Scott Warris with you until 3 o'clock. Some of you on the text line said, Scott, do your homework. What about uh, former New England Patriots tight end Aaron Hernandez? How many murders was he responsible for? I said O.J. Simpson leads the NFL in murders with two. Uh, Hernandez, okay. Yeah, all right, that, that, that is a good point. Somebody said he's tied with Ray Lewis. <laughs> okay. So we await. We are going to talk a little bit later on this uh, this afternoon. We're going to talk about thirty five years since the Challenger disaster. Like I said, I remember. Pretty sure I remember, unless I'm making up these memories. Where I was when it happened uh, as a little kid, but was watching some of it, trying to figure out what the heck had happened. You know, the thing with that was that it was also one of the most, it was one of the most formative stories in the early years of CNN. CNN at that time was in its relative infancy in being a 24-hour news network. They were the only news network carrying the Challenger launch. So you were watching, if you're watching it live, you saw it happen before your very eyes. It's one of those moments, too, and we've talked about this as a, you know, as a discussion. How many news events have played out? How many, how many memorable, truly landmark news events, tragic news events, have played out in real time in front of us? 9-11 played out in real time in front of us, right? Speaking especially of the, the second plane that hit the second tower, if you were watching at that moment, you saw it happen. Um, Jack Ruby shooting Lee Harvey Oswald happened on live television. The Challenger happened on CNN. And that was one of the early stories that CNN covered and went from there. But... We will get to that. I, I, I told Steve, and I, I would say this to you as well, mask mandate in all likelihood will be struck down at some point before the day is over by the state assembly. And we have argued, we have debated, we have discussed the mask mandate up and down and in and out in every which way. I'm really not... I'm not really keen on having the debate again because it's just silly now. I mean, it's just foolish at this point to have the, will you wear a mask, won't you wear a mask? But I think this is a reminder to all of us how much we are dependent on each other, how much we are in this together, and that I am literally responsible for your welfare, your health, and you to me. We're in this together. We're responsible to one another. That's why we wear a mask. 
And I realize the anti-maskers are still out there, not nearly as loud as they once were. And they're still, I'll probably get a text or two here in the next few minutes. So they're still there, but it, it most people have come around on the reality. Now, is that because it was mandated by the state? I mean, are there people who, nope, once this thing is officially off the books, quote-unquote, I am taking that thing off and living life mask-free, damn fancy-free out there. Well, not so fast, my friend, because, remember, you will now have county ordinances, city ordinances, private businesses. Oh, can't come into my shop, my restaurant, my bar unless you're wearing a mask. Well, wait a minute. The state struck down the mask mandate. That's fine, but I can still set the rules here on my private property. You can go from Milwaukee. The city of Milwaukee is still going to have a mask mandate. Dane County will still have a mask mandate. You will have cities taking it upon themselves, if they haven't already, to enact mask mandates. And so even if the state, not if, when, let's be honest here, when the state strikes this thing down, it does not mean that we are going to be in a maskless society. But all that aside, we can't rely on Madison anymore. We can't. It's, it's just not worth it. They're, they have let us down time and time again throughout this entire ordeal. Remember, the mask mandate would you say revocation today, the repeal, whatever the term is, is going to be the first, really the, the first piece of legislation, the first official act since April for the state legislature. Now, do not think that I'm shilling for the governor either, because I'm not so naive, and nor should you be so naive as to think that the governor's recent extension of the mask mandate was not done with the full knowledge that it probably exceeds the power that I have in creating yet another emergency order. But I'm going to do it anyway and thus force Republicans in the two chambers, the Assembly and the Senate, I'm going to force them to strike this thing down so that they have to go on record as voting the thing down. And maybe, maybe I'll gain some political points for it. Don't think that that's not at play as well. Here we sit, January 28th of 2021, and there is still a lack of coherence. There is still very much a lack of a plan between Republicans and Democrats and the, and the governor, right? Still waiting on that mythical press conference that I was hoping for since back in March and April. That mythical press conference where we hear... That at, I don't know, let's say 3 o'clock this afternoon, Tony Evers, Robin Voss, uh, who is it, uh, Lemahue now. Don't call him Lemahue or you'll get a, new, you'll, you'll get a press release or an email. Lemme, uh, Senate Majority Leader Lemahue, Attorney General, who else? Other officials, maybe law enforcement, sheriffs, whatever. Still waiting on that mythical press conference when they all come together and say, ladies and gentlemen, Wisconsin, and I know you've heard me say this before, but let, let's, just, let's just pretend. Pretend with me for a moment, would you please? Ladies and gentlemen, we realize that up until now we have been torn apart by political divisiveness, that we have fallen prey to retreating 
to our various political corners during this pandemic, but not anymore. What has happened has happened, and we can't go back and fix it. But from this point forward, rest assured that your leadership in Madison, regardless of the letter behind our names, your leadership in Madison is going to be doing what we feel is in the best interest of Wisconsin to eradicate uh, eradicate this pandemic. Enough people have died in our state. Enough people have gotten sick in our state. And it's about time that we coalesce around a plan moving forward. And then they take questions. Maybe they wouldn't even take questions because the, the media would be just so awestruck as to what had just unfolded that uh, any questions, any questions? No, the media would would be stunned in silence at that. So that's the mythical press conference that I, <laughs> I still hope will happen one day. Instead, we're striking down the mask mandate, and I'm sure that will play well moving forward. But the question is this, and I, I got to give credit to our very own Eric Bilstead. I was talking about this with him earlier, and, and we were discussing it, and he goes, who will this help? Think about that for a second. Striking down the statewide mandate, who does this help? Who is helped by this? Now, you may say, well, look, it's more about the rule of law. It's more about making sure the powers of the governor are held in check. It's making sure he does not, or or in the future, he or she would not supersede state constitutional powers. That's what this is about. But in the midst of a pandemic, and, and I get that, but in the midst of a pandemic, when I think every single action by state leadership on the issue of the coronavirus should be done to answer a question, this is helping these people. Who does this help? Can I, let me just ask that. React to that question. 855-616-1620, and I credit Eric Bilstad for the question. It's a great question. The mask mandate is going to be struck down by the time we go to bed tonight. Who's helped by that? I, I, I can't. I can come up with a list of people who are not going to be helped by it. But who's aided by that? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 855-616-1620. Scott Warrison for Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I will say this respectfully. I, I, I'm not going to spend the time on the show. Maybe others will. That's fine. They can do that. I, I'm not going to spend time reiterating why wearing a mask helps. I, I think we're way past that. And I know some of you are asking, and I think you're asking more so out of um, you know disagreement than genuinely want to know. Um, look, the CDC says it. The World Health Organization says it. National Institute of Health says it. I mean, does it prevent it 100%? No. I mean, maybe if you're wearing the uh, was N95, but we know we, don't, we can't all do that. It lowers the chance 
of spreading and catching the virus. It just does. If you don't believe it, I, there, there's nothing I can do to convince you after how many people have died. So I'm not going to go down that path. But my, my question is, who benefits? Seriously, who benefits by the mask mandate being struck down? Who's helped by it? I think that, that is how I phrased it. Who is helped by it? 855-616-1620. Bob's in Greenfield. Hello, Bob. Hello. Um, I think the people that uh, benefit from it are the people that um, have kind of like thought the virus isn't as serious as it is and um, don't believe they can catch the virus or the virus won't affect them and they don't wear masks. You know, like people that don't wear masks or you know, businesses that are um, kind of lax on the enforcement or lax on spacing. They just let people not wear masks in their, say, their restaurant or their bar um, when they walk in or walk around. Um, and probably people that um, have uh, breathing disorders, I suppose, that um, – maybe you're self-conscious or people exercising outside, you know, might be self-conscious about not wearing one because they're, you know, it's a, a mandate. But I, I look at it like um, you were saying, I, I look at it like, you know, it's like when there's snow on the ground and people don't want to be cautious when driving, you know, you can probably get away with it a bunch of times, but then you'll be driving, you'll see that person that's in the ditch. You know, and that's kind of like uh, this virus is, you know, it doesn't affect everybody, but a certain amount of people are going to be affected. So it's better to take every precaution we can now. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate the call. And the, the only thing I would say is, I don't know if that analogy holds up fully, because if I go into the ditch because I'm dro- driving fast, you won't also go into the ditch then. <laughs> I mean, I could have the virus be asymptomatic, pass it on to Kyle. And he gets it and gets sick or passes it on to a loved one of his. If I drive fast during a snowstorm and go in the ditch, that doesn't mean that Kyle is also going to end up in the ditch. right? But point taken. Gianni's in Montello. Hey, Gianni. Hey, uh, good afternoon, Scott. Uh, let me play devil's advocate for a moment. Uh, you know, old Nick is has had his hands into everything since the beginning of time. But I, I think the, the, the strict constitutionalists and uh, perhaps um, those worried about the erosion of our individual rights, and by the way, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily believe this when it comes to the mass mandate, but um, they, they've been pounding this into our, our heads for um, over a year now, and even before that. Um, there are a lot of people concerned with individual liberties and freedoms. And they view the mask mandate as an intrusion on those liberties. Uh, they vehemently believe that. Right. So they, 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 right. They're the ones that come out. They win. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Win, lose, yes. I guess the, the term I used was helped. Who is helped by this in relation to getting us through this pandemic? And so you're Old right. Nick. What's that? Old Nick. Who's old Nick? I don't follow. Who's old Nick? The, 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 the devil. The devil. I'm not the devil. I'm, I'm not a religious fanatic, but um, the devil. Okay. Thanks, Gianni. I've never heard of the. I've never heard that before. I was unaware that old Nick is a reference to Satan. Did not 
Did not know that. No, I, I, if you did winners and losers, well, yeah, the winners are the uh, are constitutionalists who feel this is an overreach, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I said that at the top, but helped. Who's helped by this? I don't think anybody's helped by this. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, here is a possible answer. 262 Texter, who's helped by uh, the end of the statewide mandate. Small businesses in rural areas. It gives the business owner a choice. Had they not allowed the tourists up here uh, over the summertime, um, they probably wouldn't be there much longer. Okay, I guess I could see that. Um, Look, Republicans say they want to keep it local and thus allow local governments to institute the mandates as necessary. But it does breed confusion then. So I went here and I didn't wear my mask and I... I don't know, it's just... This has just been handled so poorly. So poorly. And having a statewide mask mandate... And you're right... There are plenty of other states where you have Republican uh, Republican governors, for example, that have instituted the statewide mask mandate. And yet nothing comes easy in our state, that's for sure. Bottom of the hour, Eric Bilstad is here. I stole your question, Eric, because uh, the list of people it doesn't help, I think we'd have no problem putting that one together. Mm, sure. But the confusion that um, comes of this now and the list of who it does help... That's a different conversation. Yeah, and it's a legitimate one, too. I know that there can be some snarky responses to this type of thing, but really, you know, who does this help move forward? And, yeah, I guess you can say some small businesses, but I think people were going into some of these small businesses anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could almost argue the opposite could occur, too, where someone who's at high risk won't feel comfortable going into a place that maybe they would have gone into before. One question I have is what about school districts? I mean, think about all these school districts now. Will will this put every superintendent now answering several phone calls and having to deal with the answering of parents wondering whether or not their kids need to wear one or should wear one when they go to school, you know, come tomorrow or come next week? What What's going to happen with school districts across the, the state that might be different from now? It, it just seems like it's sowing more confusion than it actually is quote-unquote helping you and me specifically how is it helping wisconsinites if there's a quantitative thing they're great you know just questionable whether or not it's really helping anyone outside of the constitutional argument everything everything that madison in my opinion and i think most of us would agree on this everything that madison does in relation to the pandemic should be done with the sole intent of saving lives and keeping others from getting sick and in my opinion and i think it's a popular opinion this simply does not live up to that sole purpose meanwhile we're still now closer to having the covid19 relief package passed that's still floating around so another week goes on and we still don't have that package passed as more people get sick jeff wagner on wtmj I appreciate all of, all of you on the text line who are in support of me going, I've never heard of it either. I don't know what the word is either. No idea. You know, but just to put a wrap on our last topic, and I know some of you are annoyed and, and eye rolls and maybe you switch the channel. He's talking about, talking about masks again. Do we have to talk about 
about masks. Well, wasn't going to do it, but they're revoking the mandate today. And I think it's worth... Hmm. But a good point by a 262 text. There could be a statewide mask mandate. We have known that the Republicans were going to vote on this last Friday. Why is Evers not working with Republicans to issue what all parties would consider a legal statewide mask mandate? Exactly right. You're exactly right. This particular mandate is going to be gone. But that doesn't mean they couldn't coalesce around anything they want. Anything they want. But it's not happening. And it won't happen. And I've given up. I've given up on it. Um, I really have. There are certain things... Let's see here. During the pandemic, things have changed that are going to never go back to the way they were again. I know, now, correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle, because you're here every day and I'm not. Um, hasn't Jeff... Tell me if I'm wrong, right or wrong. Hasn't Jeff mentioned that it's his belief that when it comes to uh, like in-person business conferences, we're not going to see the numbers as we once did in Milwaukee? I, I thought I remember him talking about it when it came to the expansion of the downtown convention center, which is now still going to go ahead hundreds of millions of dollars, whatever it is. But it's his belief that the business, the, the traditional, you know, honey, I got to go out of town for a convention. That thing is a thing of a more or less the thing of the past. For the short term, certainly. Yeah. I mean, for the, I'd say five years, next five years. I mean, it, it, it's hard to predict what anything is going to look like five years from now okay. because of the pandemic. Yeah. See, I, I, I thought I remember him saying that. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but, um, there are other things. Handshaking. I know there are some people out there that say, uh, handshaking is a thing of the past. No, it's not. It'll be back. You don't do that gesture. Mankind does not carry out the gesture of a handshake for centuries, with thousands of years. Do you know where it came from originally, by the way? I looked this up one day. It originally, and I don't know when, but it... It came from a a sign that you were not holding a weapon. You didn't have a, I don't know, a sword or a dagger in your hand. So you'd extend your hand to show it's empty and you mean no harm to the other person. And then eventually, I don't know, a handshake came from that. that that's the abridged version. But I think handshakes will eventually come back. What else can we put on that list? Uh, let's see. Um, I mean, I, I do think... More meetings will be done virtually now. You know, one thing that I've noticed, a lot of churches, uh, synagogues, places of worship that had not embraced technology before the pandemic, but now have done it, even if it's simply streaming a weekend service, they will not go back. I think that's something they will always offer is an opportunity to watch online. It can be used for outreach and things like that. You're never going to go back to, nope, okay, now we're not going to stream church services anymore. No, that's a thing. Let's bring this closer to home. What the Wisconsin State Fair has come upon with the drive through cream puffs, the year-round thing, I think that stays. I think that stays. Now, I know they have been doing the drive through cream puff for uh, maybe the last 10 years or so, because we here at WTMJ have been a part of it. 
I know Jeff has spent some early mornings out there <laughs> handing out cream puffs for many, many years, and others at the station have as well. So that's been here. But I think they've stumbled onto something where they can do this year-round, maybe a couple times outside of the state fair two weeks in August stretch. For example, they're going to do one for Valentine's Day. Have you seen this? For Valentine's Day, they're going to be offering special curbside pickup cream puff events, Valentine's Day weekend. New flavor. That's another thing. Did we have flavored cream puffs before the pandemic? We, they debuted the, the chocolate cocoa one, right? Was that around Christmas time or, or maybe November? It's going to be strawberry. Strawberry for Valentine's Day. And they're going to bring back the cocoa flavored ones. Salmon three packs or six packs. Two caveats, they say. No original flavor cream puffs will be available this time. No mixing and matching. Okay? So you can't say, uh, yes, I'd like a box of six. Give me three cocoa. Give me three stru... No, no, no. It's all cocoa. Uh, Let's see. Pickup will be 8 to 6, Thursday the 11th through Saturday the 13th, 9 to 4 on Valentine's Day. Telling you, Kathleen O'Leary, the good folks at State Fair Park, they have stumbled on something that I think will stay. The ability to get a cream puff in time for the holidays, that stays. I think it's something that'll never go back. I think that there are certain things that will never return, and I think that's one right there. Anything anything on your list that you would find? Let's make a list. What the heck? We we can do anything we want, Kyle. At least till 3 o'clock. 855-616-1620. What is on your list of things that will never go back to being the way they are? Never go back to being the way they are. I'm saying cream puff distribution. Never goes back to just being two weeks in August, and that's it. Um, business meetings, maybe. Certainly office meetings. The convenience of doing it over Zoom. I mean... There's a ton of stuff. Is anything on your list? Never to be the way it was. Uh, I think one of the questions that people are still posing is, you know, are you going to continue to wear a mask once, you know, quote unquote, the new normal uh, or we get back to normal? And I think especially for the winter, I think I will be. I love wearing a mask when I'm outside and in the winter. Keeps my face warm. And, I mean, that was always the one thing that I always didn't like about Wisconsin winters in general, is the biting cold the second you step outside. Mm-hmm. And you don't really... It cuts through you, your skin. Yeah, and immediately you're like, ooh, I don't like this. And I, I I haven't gotten that this year yet. No. It is still getting... I mean, it's we're still, like, in the sort of middle of winter. There's plenty of time yet for it to get much colder. Yeah, we haven't had a polar vortex. Right. Yeah, one of those... Uh, yeah, the, 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 the winter bombs or whatever. So a ma- uh, at least a wintertime mask to help with the cold once the pandemic is officially over. Yeah, and I could see, you know, depending on how the vaccine vaccine uh, rollout goes for the summer, you know, still wearing it in the summer and everything like that. Oh, yeah. And even if, you know, 80% of the people are vaccinated in the wintertime or when wintertime comes, I'm still going to be wearing the mask because it keeps my face warm. Okay. All right. So... Things that will never be the same, for you it would be non-mask wearing in the wintertime, because you think there will be mask wearing in the wintertime. Well, here's the other thing, just specific, but if you have anything you want to add to our list, let's make a list. 855-616-1620. To your point, though, of wearing a mask at some point in the future just to keep warm. 
We're going to have all these masks, right? You've got some in a drawer, in a cabinet, at home. I mean, not all of them are little flimsy things that have a short shelf life and you throw them away because they're, they're not sanitary anymore. I mean, we've got these nice station ones. This is decent material. But look, and there are people that have made these masks. Maybe you have. You've made them. They're homemade. So once the pandemic does end, I mean... Rather than just having it as a keepsake so you can tell your grandchildren, you're, here, little, little Billy, oh, Grandpa, what's this? Well, little Billy, this is a mask. This is from 2020. Let me tell you of the great pandemic. You had to wear this, Grandpa? Oh, we did have to wear this everywhere we went. Look, that makes for a great story and a great little bonding with your grandkids or great-grandkids. But... We're going to have these things. Why not bust them out for those of us who live in cold weather areas? I'm with you on that one. All right. There is a popular one. There's a popular one that has come through on the text line. And I'm pained to say I may have to agree. Because I was a big fan of it. And I hope, I hope one day it comes back. But I don't know. What will never be the same post-pandemic? 855-616-1620. It is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 855-616-1620. As we continue. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay. Um... If there is a buffet, I am there. I I love a good buffet. And my eyes are bigger than my stomach more times than not, and I regret it after the fact. Whether you find myself in Vegas, I've rarely I've been to Vegas like twice a long time ago. Vegas, whether it's a little old it's old country I think old country buffet's gone. I don't think I, I don't think they're gonna survive this. But whether it's the O C B What's another one? Golden Corral? But what about the what about the buffet brunches on Mother's Days? All those great big buffet guy right here. And as many of you mentioned, Jeff, Laura from Las Vegas, the buffet, at least as we know it, will never be the same. I think you're probably gonna have it such that they will serve you. It will not be a self-serve situation. And I guess in that respect, but the old, I'm just going to pile it up myself, go to the Las Vegas, pick any casino, go through the buffet line, pile it up with crab legs and shrimp and go to town. Mm -hmm. Many of you food buffets. You're right. Ryan in West Bend says, inside grocery shopping, you're going to get a lot more pickup and delivery. And I, I think you've got to expand that to everything. The, the different, uh, is that ride sharing? What, what would be the general term for that? Food share? No, ride, you know, uh, Grubhub, DoorDash, the delivery services that bring you food from, I don't care if it's McDonald's or Burger King or if it's a fancy restaurant. It doesn't matter. You can sit just like you. We've been ordering out pizza forever, Chinese food delivery forever, and that was pretty much it, right? Pizza and Chinese food. 
What else was being delivered to our doors? That has forever changed. Hmm. We'll never have another salad bar at Sendix or Pick and Save. Self-serve condiment um, stations at a ballpark, never the same. Hmm. Um, a lot of people saying they're still going to wear masks when they go into <laughs> public restrooms. Okay, that that I can understand. 414 suggests that we'll never blow out birthday candles ever again. There is something, if you actually think about, think about how, how, how unsanitary that really is. And I really haven't given it much thought till right now. All these years, all our lives. Hey, let's get, don't even think about pandemic coronavirus. Just pretend that's not even happening. Hey, let's, let's get, let's get everybody together. We'll get the family We'll get the very young and the very old, the people with strong immune systems, the people with bad immune systems. Let's get them all in a big room. And then we're going to have the birthday boy or the birthday girl come over. We'll sing to them. And then they're going to blow all over the surface of the cake. Then we will cut up that cake and serve it to everybody right after the birthday boy, the birthday girl had just spit, right? I mean, not spit in the traditional sense, but you're spraying germs and saliva on the top of the cake. Right after they did that, now let's all consume it. You really think about that. You go, why were we <laughs> Why were we doing that in the first place? <sighs> it just what the heck was wrong with us? Hmm. Uh, let's see. Scott Lewin West Alice says, Scott, um, let the buffets die. Oh, come on, Lou. Says, I hated seeing people eating at the buffet table instead of taking their plate to a table. Gross and good riddance. Well, that's just bad manners. That doesn't mean it should die. It should not die at all. Not at all. Hmm. Hmm. Um... Mall shopping. Mitch in Sturgeon Bay says mall shopping is a thing of the past. For one reason, stores are closed for good now. Right, right. And how many of those things can be purchased online? All I know is this. You're gonna have you're gonna have your mask. You're gonna have masks laying around, maybe in the glove compartment of your car or the center console of your car. You're gonna have these things for years to come yet, folks. You can find other reasons to use it, whether it's like Kyle, just to keep your face warm in the wintertime, or some of you on the text line who are going to use it whenever you go into a public restroom, like at a gas station or something like that. Fine. It's good. It's safe. But I think the hands-down winner, based on the reaction, buffets. Buffets and birthday cake candle blowing. We say farewell. Casualties of the coronavirus pandemic. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now in for Jeff Wagner, WTMJ's Scott Morris.
Is it me or have the Packers special teams seemingly ranked at the bottom of the league forever? The surprising news. No, I'm serious. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Mason Crosby was great this year. Did he miss a field goal? Can you look that up? I know he missed a couple of PATs. Did he miss a field goal this year? I'm trying to think off the top of my head if he did. Maybe one, if any. So Mason Crosby was, I mean, super. And how blessed have they been to have him all these years, right? One of the great picks by Ted Thompson. People never talk about that pick. Aaron Rodgers. And then you could say, I mean, is it a stretch to say that Mason Crosby, the second greatest draft pick that the late Ted Thompson ever made after Rodgers? So what were his numbers this year, Crosby? 100%. 16 for 16 in the regular season, 4-4 in the post. PATs, would he miss two of them this year? Uh, let me take a look. It, yeah. I got the 93.7%, so he missed a little bit. Okay, but. yeah. Now, I remember, he, I, I think I can remember two specifically. So Crosby's great, and yet the special teams as a whole just sucks. You remember two specifically because they're the only two that happened. He missed two. Huh. Huh. So as good as he was, as good as Crosby was, great as he was, the Packers, I mean, I, I'm, I'm serious. It's just, isn't it amazing, all the success they've had? It's what you can do when you got a Hall of Fame-level quarterback. I know, I know. But all the success, pretty much sustained success since the 90s. And yet, at least for as far back as I can recall, their special teams, let's say at least post-Farve as a line of demarcation. Just bad. Or if they're not bad, there's nothing special about them. Like this year, it was bad. Coverage was horrible. They got nothing in the return game. Yeah, somebody said Desmond Howard. Not since Desmond Howard was returning kicks has their special. But even when it has been bad, it just hasn't been anything good. It's just kind of meh. And just one year, give me something special. Just one year, give me some sort of special return game threat. Or at least keep other teams. There were two, um, what, two punt returns for touchdowns this year? It was a punt and a kickoff. Anyway, they allowed two returns for touchdowns. and The guy's been fired. And Whether it's him or Ron Zook. I know there are plenty of Zook fans out there. It's just fun to Zook fans out there. <laughs> who, who else? Sean Slocum. How many former special teams coaches of the Packers can you name? Ready, go. Ron Zook. Sean Manenga. Sean Slocum. John Bonamago. How's that one, huh? You like that? I don't know. All right, stop. <laughs> Jeff, you hear what Morris was talking about when you were gone? No, what? Special teams coaches for the Packers. He did what? Today marks... Today marks 35 years since the Challenger exploded. And as for those of you who listen... Uh, to me uh, on the night show or when I get the opportunity like this to fill in for Jeff or maybe for Steve, you know that there are certain points over the course of the year where I like to ask the question, where were you when? And I think this is one of those. 
I love the where were you when question. I've always said this, and I'll never do it, but I'll say it. If I ever wrote a book, it would be entitled, and maybe somebody has done this, so if not, I call dibs. Nobody do this. <laughs> I would write a book and be entitled Where Were You When? And each chapter would be, or you could even do it book by book, would be one of the more memorable moments in American history. And I would ask everyday citizens, common Joe and Jill public, where they were when, you fill in the, where were you when America was attacked on 9-11? Where were you when Kennedy was assassinated? Where were you when the Challenger blew up? Because I'm fascinated as people remember the vivid detail. 855-616-1620. It was on this day 35 years ago. Does it seem like that long? 855-616-1620 on the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's where I was. I was just less than five, almost five years old. I'm closing my eyes here, I remember this. And I was sitting in the living room of our house where my parents still live today and we had a brown couch but I remember sitting on the floor up against the couch and this old television it was one of those old television sets you know with the screen inside like a big wooden frame we had no remote so you had to like turn it on the TV the click 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 but I remember sitting there up against the couch on this, like, not shag carpeting, but just the plush carpeting, watching, with my dad was there, watching CNN's coverage of the Challenger explosion. And I don't remember seeing it live, I mean, but at least the coverage shortly thereafter. And obviously, I was, what, four years old? It might be one of my earlier memories, now that I think of it. Where were you when? 35 years ago today. Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is 855-616-1620. Let me say this. I always appreciate your texts, but I'm really, I'd love to talk with you through this because we can discuss some of the vivid details maybe of of who you were with or where you were. And so I, I always love the texts, and if you can't call, I'll take it, but... The call is especially valuable on something like this. Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. Like I said before, it was one of those moments where if you happen to be watching, you could see tragic American history play out in real time, live, in front of your eyes. That is not, all. even now, that is not all that common. Where were you when the Challenger exploded? Where were you when you heard of that NASA tragedy? 855-616-1620. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Jeff is out today. Scott Warris with you till 3 o'clock. 35 years ago today, the Space Shuttle Challenger exploded before our very eyes. I've got some of the audio 
of CNN's coverage in the seconds before and the moments after. And I'll bring that to you. I also have uh, the comments of uh, Ronald Reagan. You know, that night, 35 years ago tonight, Ronald Reagan, one of his most iconic speeches. Peggy Noonan playing a role in crafting the uh, remarkable word choice that he spoke that night. In fact, Reagan was supposed to give the State of the Union address that night and canceled it for obvious reasons. 855-616-1620. Accurate mortgage talk and text line. Where were you when? If you're on the line, hang on. Kyle's working to uh, get you through to the show. Let's start in Oconomowoc. Joe, in Oconomowoc. Joe, where were you when you learned of the space shuttle tragedy? Hey, Scott, thanks for taking the call. Me and my wife were actually out on a Caribbean cruise, and uh, when we found about it, actually uh, found out about it on the cruise, uh, kind of brought back memories from about four and a half hour, hour years earlier. We were actually living in Kansas City at the time, and if you remember, the um, Hyatt Regency had uh, a walkway collapse, and we were actually out on a river cruise at the same time that happened in downtown Kansas City. So uh, catastrophes on water, we seemed to be on water, which was uh, kind of freaky back then. How is it you learned of it? Um, because I'm thinking, okay, so we're going, you know, January of uh, of 86. No Twitter, no social media, no Internet. Uh, did you just happen to pass a television? like on, Or were you on land and you flipped a TV on? Or were you on the ship and, and one of the TVs were reporting on it? How did you learn of it? Well, we got back uh, from Port. We were actually in Nassau. And we got back on the ship. And uh, then they alerted us that there was a catastrophe with the, uh, um, basically with the uh, challenge. So it was, uh, it was kind of, uh, it was kind of surreal, you know. And uh, I just remember everybody was really quiet for mm-hmm. like that next day or so on that uh, on that cruise because we weren't really getting a lot of information. We were just told that, you know, there was this catastrophe, and uh, you couldn't. You know, it just uh, it was unique. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. You, how would you get information in a timely ma- manner uh, out to a cruise ship regarding something like this? That's an amazing dynamic at play, too. How did word travel? And we may get into that based on where were you when the Challenger exploded. Because now we'd all learn about it within seconds. And you were watching it. You learned about it in real time. But if you weren't, how long would it have taken? Hmm. Diane is in Milwaukee. Diane, where were you when you learned of the space shuttle disaster? It's indelibly etched in my memory. We had a second home in a little town called New Smyrna Beach, and that's just 50 miles north of uh, Cape Canaveral. And I've seen many, many, many launches and nighttime, daytime. But this one was quite interesting, and everybody was talking about it because Krista McAuliffe, the teacher, school teacher, was going to be on the flight, and all of her students were going to be out, you know, watching the launch. And so I made a note of the time. I had a couple of errands to run that morning, and I made a note of what time the launch was, you know, and you never really know if it was going to be a go or not until just, you know, shortly before. 
but they set the time, and I was at an art gallery, and I looked at my watch, and, and I said, well, the launch is going to go, and I walked outside by myself, because a lot of people have seen so many down there that they just, you know, it gets to be ho-hum, but it wasn't to me. It's quite dramatic. So I walked outside and looked up in the sky, and I didn't have to look up very far, and there was a shot, and it exploded. It was like white smoke, and all of a sudden, it looked like a jellyfish, like all these tentacles coming down, trailers of the smoke, and I went, something is drastically wrong. I said this to myself. And I just got in the car and and drove home and turned on the the television set, and uh, there it was that it had exploded. And uh, I just thought about all those children, you know, that went to see their school teacher, and it was very, very, very tragic. And that night, it, it, it was really eerie because, you know, we were right on the Atlantic Ocean, our home, and big picture windows, an upstairs and a downstairs. And I was laying in bed and watching all these boats on, you know, shrimp boats and everything with the lights on, searching for debris, you know, from the, the shuttle launch. They were trying to find pieces to understand exactly what had happened. And I remember that it had been very chilly that morning, and there was talk, not very much about not, there were a couple people that said, don't watch. Well, it ended up being a faulty O-ring, and because of the cold weather, uh, that that was what caused right. uh, the catastrophe. So when we talk about history playing out in front of our very eyes for those who watched it on CNN. You can say the same thing because you literally watched it in, in real life. And, and it was like, you know, if you go down to the Cape to watch the launches, there, there's quite a distance that you have to, you know, be from the launch pad so when you're talking 50 miles, that's nothing. And you look up in the sky, and it's like right there. You know, you can see the flame. You can see, you can see the shuttle. You know, all you have to do is walk out right. on the beach or sit in the balcony. Right. And it, it was just shocking. And I, you know, I could tell that something had gone wrong because it was like a big jellyfish, mm-hmm. and I that was what. Uh, and it was just. It, it was shocking, really, because we'd had deaths, you know, uh, before. Yeah. I remember Gus Grissom right. in particular. But uh, well, you said it, Diane. Look, D- Diane, and I, 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 I appreciate the call, Diane. Thank you so much for for opening up and sharing welcome, your your firsthand Diane. perspective of, of of that day. And as Diane said, uh, the image is still indelibly. You know, imprinted in my mind. And she was there. Whether you were there watching it within range of the shuttle launch, whether you watched it on television, whether you didn't see it but you heard about it. And she makes a great point about the school element of this, and we can get into that too, because I know a lot of you were watching it in a classroom. Where were you when? Maybe you were there. Maybe not. 
but the details to this day still very vivid. Jeff and Janet, do not hang up, because I do want to get your stories as well. Your memories, open lines for you at 855-616-1620. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. See, this is one of the really... I think privileges of, of, of doing a show on a station like WTMJ, you put out a topic and you never know uh, who you might talk to. And in that case, we had a Diane who was in Florida, witnessed the Challenger explode before her very eyes. And um, in just a couple moments, we're going to hear yet another story of somebody here in our own backyard who found themselves down in Florida near the Cape. 35 years ago today, riveting stories, riveting memories. Even if you weren't, we welcome your calls and texts. Where were you when? The question we're asking on the 35th, uh, marking the 35th anniversary of the Challenger disaster. 855-616-1620. Melissa Barclay is here. It is the bottom of the hour. Melissa, do you have any memories of of, uh, this date in 1986 when it comes to that? Horrific event in our nation's history. Yeah, I was very young in elementary school. I remember being at home and just seeing the images on the TV screen. And just, you know, I think as a child, you don't know how to process some of those things that you see on TV. I just remember feeling very scared, knowing something bad had happened and knowing a lot of people had died. And, um, yeah, moving forward, obviously looking back at that, that is something. It's one of those moments that you always remember. You remember where you were at and what yep. you were doing. Yep. Absolutely. It's amazing. Those, uh, the, the, the little details sometimes that stick with us mm-hmm. in those moments. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, let's get to the phones here. This appears, uh, yeah, this appears to be another story of somebody who was there on site. Janet, waiting patiently in Heartland. Janet, you were there. You were there in Florida 35 years ago today. Yes. We were on a family vacation. Uh, the plan was Disney World, Sea World, and also to go see the launch. We did go the day before on the 27th, uh, which then it was called off because of how cold it was. Had to decide whether we were going to come back, and we did come back on the 28th. That was my husband, myself, and two daughters, ages five and seven. Uh, the seven-year-old's school class were very excited about her maybe being down there, so we knew they were planning on watching that day. But the basis of the story is we were across a bay. We were very, very uh, close, much closer than 50 miles. And um, we waited, we waited, it was delayed, and then it went up. And we could really see something went wrong. And we were in a group of other people sitting in lawn chairs, just hanging out on the beach, maybe about a dozen of us. And uh, quickly the excited talk turned to murmuring because my husband and I, we could, uh, we had a pretty good idea something had gone wrong. And uh, we watched and we watched and everyone saw on the news what was going on. We witnessed it. And probably after about 20, 30 minutes of maybe optimistic viewing, people started to leave and we left. And it was in the car that we told our daughters what we feared had happened. 
answered some of their questions, turned on the news. Of course, the news was reporting what was going on. So what do you do, right? We were on a vacation, and uh, we went ahead and went to SeaWorld, which was a good diversion for the kids and for all of us, and we had, you know, as good of a time as the parents could have. But I couldn't help but keep on looking at the sky because the evidence was right there. How did you tell your how old were your kids if I may at that time how old were they five and seven two bright five and seven year olds so we knew we needed to be pretty honest with them mm-hmm. how did you tell them we as we walked to the car we said let's get in the car let's tell us you know talk about what we think happened and I mean they didn't need a lot of talk beyond the fact that they could tell that we were upset. And we pretty much told them, we think it exploded. We're going to have to wait and see what they tell us on the news. And, of course, no cell phones or anything like that. We just turned on the radio and found a local radio station down there. Um, But we were honest with them all along the way. Um, Like I said, I couldn't help but keep on looking up at the sky when we were at SeaWorld. And to this day... Jet streams are in the sky all the time, and boy, it brings back memories. But uh, when we came back from Florida from the trip, um, I had quite a good relationship with the the teacher for the uh, second grader. And so I went to school, and I talked with my daughter, with her classmates and teacher, and a few, I think another couple classes came in, and we basically answered their questions and talked about what happened. Wow. It's amazing, Janet. The, the most, I think, amazing thing of what you just said was that even now when you see those, you know, those, those what they, vapor trails or whatever the technical term is, you, you still, at least for a moment, think of that day 35 years ago because of those smoke trails after the explosion. That's fascinating to me. Well, it's, it's very ingrained. It's quite a mm. memory. Mm. Thanks, Janet. I appreciate you sharing those memories. 855-616-1620. Let's squeeze in uh, Jeff before the break. Jeff is in Hartford. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm okay. Where were you when? Um, I was out hunting with a buddy out, pheasant hunting out in Allenton Marsh, and uh, really wasn't thinking about the launch at all. We just stopped at a little cafe to have some breakfast, and just about the time our coffee was put in front of us, the uh, launch, the shuttle was launched, and as we watched, um, saw what happened, and one of the things I remember the most that made it sort of surreal was, I don't remember the exact words, but hearing somebody at control saying, um, it seems that we have a malfunction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is amazing how word traveled, or, or didn't travel, 35 years ago as opposed to now. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate you sharing that. Quick break. When we come back, I've got the clip. It's about three and a half minutes or so. The clip from CNN as it played out. And this will encompass the first few moments before while the shuttle is rising into the atmosphere. You can pinpoint the moment in just listening to the audio when it exploded. And then you can hear the CNN anchor and 
ground control because they had that audio dubbed in over the telecast as well. You can hear how it all played out. For those of you who are too young, maybe you were too young at the time, or you weren't alive on this date, January 28th, 1986. Some riveting audio. It's some amazing footage. Even today, the footage is, watching it earlier, is still is still riveting in the very worst way. But that audio, two minutes. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay. I will get to some of your other texts, too, because there are some pretty fascinating uh, accounts from those of you who were only able to text in. But I thought, I thought I'd bring you the audio. This is courtesy of CNN, the only network to carry the launch at the time. Um, and you'll hear the CNN anchor as he describes the countdown. It happens. The first few moments, I say moments, seconds. And then you won't need me to interject. You'll be able to tell when things went horribly, horribly wrong. This is how it played out on national television in front of many of our very eyes 35 years ago today. T-minus 21 seconds in the solid uh, rocket booster engine gimbal now underway. T-minus 15 seconds. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. We have main engine start, four, three, two, one, and liftoff, liftoff of the 25th space shuttle mission, and it has cleared the tower. So the 25th space shuttle mission is now on the way after more delays than NASA cares to count. This morning, it looked as though they were not going to be able to get off. It just now explodes. One minute, 15 seconds. Velocity, 2,900 feet per second. Altitude, 9 nautical miles. Downrange distance, 7 nautical miles. like a couple of the uh, solid rocket boosters uh, blew away from the side of the shuttle in an explosion. Flight controllers here looking very carefully at the situation. Obviously a major malfunction. Word. They're holding their breath just, I'm sure, as everyone else is. You saw it just a few moments ago, about 
45 seconds after liftoff, a huge fireball in the sky. We have a report from the flight dynamics officer that the vehicle has exploded. Flight director confirms that. We are looking at uh, checking with the recovery forces to see uh, what can be done at this point. Contingency procedures are in effect. Um, we will report uh, more as we have information available. Again, to repeat, uh, we have a report uh, relayed through the flight dynamics officer that the vehicle has exploded. We are now looking at uh, all the contingency operations and awaiting uh, word from any recovery uh, forces in the downrange field. In what appears to be a major catastrophe in America's space program, Challenger, only seconds after leaving the launch pad, according to NASA, has exploded in midair. No word yet on if there are any survivors. Well, we know the answer to that, right? Taylor in River Hills, me and a friend were at my house playing quarters. We went back to school and told people they didn't believe us. 30 minutes later, the principal made the announcement. Bob in Sheboygan, I was a senior in high school in my How Media Communicates class. We had a television right in the room, and the teacher turned it on immediately after another teacher ran in to tell us. The explosion and aftermath changed the direction of the class for the rest of the semester. I was in seventh grade, 262. I was in seventh grade. I was in school. It's my birthday. Another text. I was a part-timer at the Burlington McDonald's while my kids were in school. I can still see my shocked self opening the restaurant's back door. I was the one to tell everyone inside what happened, and I'll never forget it. I was working in an ICU. One of our patients had the television on in his room as I was checking vitals and giving medications remember just staring at the television screen as we were both in shock at what we were seeing. I lived in New Hampshire that day, at that time. I was in kindergarten, and because Krista McAuliffe, who was a teacher in New Hampshire, it was a very big deal for us especially. Our whole class was watching it on television. We all started crying. I was 25 at my grandparents' house watching with my grandfather. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. The announcer was in shock, and Mission Control did not realize what happened right away because they had been looking at instrument panels. And you could hear that in the clip. I mentioned the moment the shuttle explodes, and then you hear Mission Control still give a, you know, a, a, a sentence or two report on the vitals, right, on, on looking at the the instrument panel, because they hadn't looked up at the screen. Rob says, I was in eighth grade watching an English class at Cozy Middle School in Milwaukee. Scott, I was in fourth grade. I'm sorry, I was in a fourth hour graphic arts class. And I'm not sure why we were watching it, but I saw it happen live. 855-616-1620. As I said later that night, Ronald Reagan was supposed to give the State of the Union address before the Congress. It didn't happen. He did give an address, however, and it lives on to this day. And I'll share it with you next. So that night, instead of giving the State of the Union address, 
in front of Congress, in front of the United States as a whole. Ronald Reagan stayed in the White House, behind his desk, in the Oval Office, and said this. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd planned to speak to you tonight to report on the State of the Union. But the events of earlier today have led me to change those plans. Today is a day for mourning and remembering. Nancy and I are pained to the core by the tragedy of the shuttle Challenger. We know we share this pain with all of the people of our country. This is truly a national loss. Nineteen years ago, almost to the day, we lost three astronauts in a terrible accident on the ground. But we've never lost an astronaut in flight. We've never had a tragedy like this. And perhaps we've forgotten the courage it took for the crew of the shuttle. But they, the Challenger 7, were aware of the dangers that overcame them and did their jobs brilliantly. We mourn seven heroes. Michael Smith, Dick Scobie, Judith Resnick, Ronald McNair, Ellison Onizuka, Gregory Jarvis, and Krista Mikulov. We mourn their loss as a nation together. The families of the seven, we cannot bear as you do the full impact of this tragedy. But we feel the loss, and we're thinking about you so very much. Your loved ones were daring and brave, and they had that special grace, that special spirit that says, give me a challenge, and I'll meet it with joy. They had a hunger to explore the universe and discover its truths. They wished to serve, and they did. They served all of us. We've grown used to wonders in this century. It's hard to dazzle us. But for 25 years, the United States space program has been doing just that. We've grown used to the idea of space, and perhaps we forget that we've only just begun. We're still pioneers. They, the members of the Challenger crew, were pioneers. And I want to say something to the schoolchildren of America who were watching the live coverage of the shuttle's takeoff. I know it's hard to understand, but sometimes painful things like this happen. It's all part of the process of exploration and discovery. It's all part of taking a chance and expanding man's horizons. The future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave. The Challenger crew was pulling us into the future, and we'll continue to follow them. I've always had great faith in and respect for our space program, and what happened today does nothing to diminish it. We don't hide our space program. We don't keep secrets and cover things up. We do it all up front and in public. That's the way freedom is, and we wouldn't change it for a minute. We'll continue our quest in space. There will be more shuttle flights and more shuttle crews, and yes, more volunteers, more civilians, more teachers in space. Nothing ends here. Our hopes and our journeys continue. I want to add that I wish I could talk to every man and woman who works for NASA or who worked on this mission and tell them your dedication and professionalism have moved and impressed us for decades and we know of your anguish. We share it. There's a coincidence today. On this day, 390 years ago, the great explorer Sir Frank Drake died aboard ship off the coast of Panama. In his lifetime, the great frontiers were the oceans and a Historian later said he lived by the sea, died on it, and was buried in it. Well, today, we can say of the Challenger crew, their dedication was, like Drake's, complete. 
The crew of the Space Shuttle Challenger honored us for the manner in which they lived their lives. We will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them this morning as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of Earth to touch the face of God. Thank you. And that phrase right there, one of the most iconic phrases you could say in maybe the history of all presidential oratory, delivered by Ronald Reagan, written by uh, Peggy Noonan, who was then a speechwriter for him. We'll take the break for the news. I do want to double back on the Krista McAuliffe piece, because the fact that she was up there is, I think, in, in large part a reason why many of you watched it in a classroom and a riveting text message from somebody who was hoping to have been in the position of Krista McAuliffe, but wasn't. We'll get to that as well. News is next, and then hour number three. Scott Warris in for Jeff. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now in for Jeff Wagner, WTMJ's Scott Warris. Greg was so stunned by that special teams hiring, he just stopped it dead in his tracks. So the Packers are promoting the number two guy. We just lamented last hour how bad the special teams have been forever, so let's give the assistant a chance, okay? Well, what do I know? We spent uh, pretty much all of last hour talking about where were you when, and a fascinating text came through right before the news. As you'll recall, uh, maybe not, but some of you will, Krista McAuliffe was one of the seven who were killed in the in the accident, in the explosion. But she was not, uh, would you say, an astronaut by training? She was uh, not somebody who set out to work for NASA. She was a teacher. And there was a nationwide selection process. She was picked from about 11,000 applicants to participate in the NASA Teacher in Space Project and was scheduled to become the first ever teacher in space. That is one reason why, and there were stories and our accounts of her class from New Hampshire, her class there on site, and obviously the school watching back home, and that's a big reason why there were so many students watching in classrooms, because it was something unique and special to teachers and to the world of, of education. And it only adds another layer of, of sadness to what happened because of who was watching and why they were watching. Here you have this person who was picked. Now, to the text that we got. A text from somebody who could have very well been in that space shuttle themselves. The text was so good, we reached out, because I want to talk to this person. It is Fred in Mayville. Hello, Fred. Thanks for letting us call you uh, after you sent in your text. I appreciate it very much. Well, you're welcome. Now, tell us, as you did in the text, tell us why this date and what happened 35 years ago today, it resonates with you maybe in a way very different from everyone else that we've heard from so far. Well, um, I grew up in Mayville. Right now I'm in Elkhorn. 
Elkhorn, Wisconsin. But at that time, I was teaching in the little city south of Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, called Lamira. And I had spent a couple years prior, before college, in the Marines. So I was way into health and fitness, and I loved science. So when I heard that they were going to have a teacher go into space, I signed up. I got the application instructions. I filled them out. I um, wrote several essays and papers on what it would do for me personally and how I could use it helping my students. And then I waited. And months and months went by, and I was informed that I wasn't selected. And I knew there were thousands that uh, applied, so I wasn't too hurt, but I secretly really wanted to be on that flight because I, well, right now I've got a pilot's license. I got a private pilot's license about 20 years ago. Um, it always fascinated me. But that day, I'm a high, I'm a high school band director, and I was uh, in my classroom when the news came over the loudspeakers, and we kind of turned on our televisions, and all of my students knew that, I had applied, and altogether we heard that the that the shuttle exploded, and everyone was gone. And uh, I just can hardly explain what our feelings were at that moment. How often did or does the "what if" question resonate within you? It would mean. Well, yes, every now and then I do think of that. Uh, at that moment, I was married about uh, seven, eight years, and I had two sons, so it would have been devastating to my family. Um, you know, I don't think I would have felt much. I think it was over for them in a second. But... Uh, it would have been life-changing for my family and for my students. And I think about it every now and then, how possibly the hand of God was on my life and he wanted me to go a different way. But, uh, yes, hmm. it's very real to me. I'm curious, what was the application process like? You said you had to write essays and certainly had to make your case, I suppose. What was it they were asking? I mean, here taking, you know, a, a, a teacher, somebody without, you know, a, a, a background in aeronautical engineering, somebody who was not prepping to be an astronaut for years and years and years, but somebody who just took an interest in it and obviously was had a certain degree of knowledge based on their teaching degree and, and, and knowledge base. What did they have you all do? What was that process like? Well, being so far removed by time, I don't remember a lot of it, but I know it was a very extensive application. Uh, they wanted to know your background, um, your history. I think there was a security little check in there. Um, military background, which I had, I was in. I was in the Marines. Um, I think the biggest aspect, though, was how you could apply that to the teaching profession and how students could learn and students could grow 
it was a big educational hmm. thing. I think that's what they were really looking for. Right. Wow. And then I think it, they probably whittled down the applicants, <laughs> so many that there were, mm-hmm. um, probably whittled it down, and then I'm not sure how really they selected mm-hmm. from them because there were probably hundreds and hundreds of qualified applicants. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually, and I don't have the name in front of me, forgive me, eventually they did have a teacher, you know, another teacher went up uh, as the shuttle program obviously continued. If they would have come to you, Fred, a few years later and said, um, Fred, we we would like you to be the first teacher in space. We know um, Krista McAuliffe, uh, the legacy she left is incomplete until we get that first teacher in space and we want you to be it. Would you have done it? I think I might have, because I knew that they figured out what the problem was, and I have a lot of confidence in NASA, and I think that I would have thought this time they'll they'll get all the bugs worked out, and I think I might have. I a little bit of a risk taker, uh, having gone into the Marines during the height of the Vietnam War. Um, luckily, I never got sent to Vietnam, but. I guess I probably would have done it. And uh, as to your question of a few minutes back, um, every now and then I'll hear the name Krista or Krista McAuliffe, and that'll bring that back because when I hear that name, I think that could have been me up there. Your name is Fred Palmer. It could have been Fred Palmer. Yes, it could have been. Wow. <laughs> Fred, I appreciate you letting us reach out because I, I wanted to give your experience and your perspective uh, some credence beyond simply reading your text message. So thanks for answering the phone, sure. first of all, when we gave you a call and yeah. be willing to, to share your story on the air with us 35 years later. Does it seem like 35 years ago? Oh, my goodness, no. <laughs> not, not at all. <laughs> The decades just fly by. They do. I'm I'm a long long time listener of uh, AM six twenty and all the programs. I love it. First time caller. That's the first time I've ever texted or called. Um, but listening to the show just uh, the more this morning, and I thought I need to send a text and put a little more light into this. And we're glad you did. Yeah, and I'm so happy that you called back. I I usually don't answer my phone when it's someone some number I don't recognize, but it was only a couple minutes after I texted. I figured this has got to be six twenty, and it was. Fred, yeah. Fred, thanks for letting us um, intrude on your day. But I know I speak for a lot of people listening uh, to your story, bringing a really unique perspective that I'm willing to bet there's a good chance very few, if not you know, nobody, listening can look back or views this day the way yeah. you do. And in fact, what it was about 11,000 teachers sent applications. So, and however many are still with us at this day, there aren't many of you who can say that could have been me. So thank you, yeah. Fred. Appreciate you sharing your story. You are welcome. Thank you. Pretty remarkable stuff, huh?
Wow. 35 years ago today.